And when he was only nine years old, he moved with his family to a rough apartment complex in East Atlanta. He often described himself as a country boy and a city boy, all blended into one. It was in Atlanta's booming hip-hop scene where a local group scored a hit with a light-hearted song called White Tea. He and some friends recorded a fearsome remark, Black Tea, which was about robbery. In the music video for Black Tea, Gucci was first exposed to the world behind a mask, a black handkerchief, that is, that was covering his face. Gucci Man's musical career has been inseparable from the criminal career that has frequently interrupted it, burnishing his legend while sabotaging his professional prospects. He says that he started selling drugs at, at 13, and so when, as a fledgling rapper, he declared himself independent. The implication was that he didn't need any record company money because he had plenty of his own. His first real success, a 2005 anthem called Icy, almost ended his career and his life. It featured another Atlanta rapper, Young Jeezy, and after the two men argued over its ownership, a friend of Jeezy's was found shot to death. Gucci Man was arrested for the shooting, but he claimed that he acted in self-defense. When the man and some associates bursted into Gucci's apartment to assault him, the case was dropped. In an interview afterward, Gucci Man insulted young Jeezy in a characteristically vivid language. That dude's shaky, like an earthquake, he said. Like a, what they call it? Quicksand. It's like stepping on quicksand. The first big-budget Gucci Man album released in 2009 was The State vs. Radic Davis. Despite the gruesome title, he seemed to be in high spirits, especially in a song called Lemonade, which, just, which described colorful jewelry with a bewildered enthusiasm of someone seeing it for the first time. Yellow diamond pinky ring, call that the lemon rock. Jewelry box, jewelry box a lemon bin, my earring size of apricot. Gucci Man has never found a consistent home on the radio, at least outside of Atlanta, but his music and mythos spread online, sometimes through viral images. One even showed him in a majestic white fur coat, which morphed into a waterfall, the rapper as force of nature, and because mainstream success never seemed within reach, he generally didn't make music for the mainstream radio. He made music for his core fans, which meant focusing on the trap, or dope house. His discography includes the Trap House series, which includes five volumes. Trap God, three volumes. Trap Back, two volumes. And Trapology. Gucci Man's first conviction in 2001 was for cocaine possession, but what followed can make him seem less like a trap god than than like a lost soul. In 2005, the month after the killing for which he wasn't charged, he was arrested for beating a concert promoter with a pool cue. He pleaded no contest. He was arrested a number of times in the following years for increasingly erratic behavior, and in 2011, he pleaded guilty to pushing a woman out of a moving vehicle. 
Two years later, his mother filed an unsuccessful petition for guardianship, declaring that he had been given diagnosis of schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. A psychiatrist testified that she didn't know whether his behavior was based more on the primary psychiatric issue or on the substance abuse issue. This is a sad and disturbing chronicle, but fans sometimes treated the arrests as welcome proof that Gucci Man's life really was as outrageous as his rhymes. It seems hard to believe that we're in this era of Kendrick Lamar and conscious rap and you know Hamilton that just came out, but there was once a time, believe it or not, when rappers were actually scary and their music was condemned by observers from across the political spectrum. In some ways, Gucci's is a holdover from this older, meaner era, which is, ru- which is one reason that a younger peer like Drake is so eager to get his blessing. These two were reportedly planning a collaborative mini-album. Still in the works, still hasn't been out yet, we're still waiting. Drizzy and Gucci, let's go. His music has drawn its unsettling power, not just from true crime stories, but also from sidelong references to addiction and mental illness. He's bragged about eating them Percocets like they were baked beans, and even joked, my flow so schizophrenic that I think I need a stray jacket. At his glassy-eyed best, he evoked a zombie kingpin, staggering through a strange and half-dead world, rapping, I keep on hearing voices, he once rapped. The voices were telling him to buy more watches, more diamonds, and more cars. The older, meaner hip-hop world elevated brilliant but scruffy neighborhood guys like Gucci Mane without asking them to apologize or explain, but it also fostered a kind of extracism. It was tempting to think of Gucci Mane primarily as an avatar of East Atlanta mayhem rather than as an entertainer and a craftsman. Everybody Looking, his first album, Out of Prison, is certainly entertaining, like dozens of Gucci's released albums before it, but it hints at a previously impossible and must-said happy possibility that the craftsman might outlive the avatar. He still sounds like himself. And even on one track, he declares, my glocks sing my hooks and we call it pop music. But he is equally uncompromising on the subject of his newfound sobriety, outing himself as a recovering drug addict in the album's first stanza. And, though there is plenty of mayhem, many of the wildest claims are made in the past tense. I got so drunk I left Privé and I crashed a Bentley, he raps, as if he still can't quite believe it. Privé is an Atlanta nightclub, which was also the site of the Fox Concert's official after-party. Gucci Mane showed up shortly after 2, and he seemed to be the only person in the room not drinking or smoking anything. He watched, impassive, as the DJ crowed. Gucci home, the whole motherfucking city, come out. Not long afterward, Drake arrived, thumping his chest, bowing his head, and pointing to him in a gesture of respect. Gucci didn't rap, but he did briefly accept the microphone in order to make a request. I want to hear some Gucci, he said. And then he stood and listened to the guy on the record. Every time Gucci gets out of jail, it's like he goes straight to the recording studio. A habit that is acknowledged among his fans as a testament to both his work ethic and his turbulent life. 
On May 26th, it was time for another reintroduction. Freed once more after serving three years in the federal prison for illegal possession of a firearm, Gucci Mane went to the studio. Less than 24 hours later, he released a grim comeback track, First Day Out the Feds, sounding defiant. I bend, don't break, I don't ask, just take, black gloves, black tape, and I don't play nor pray. He delivered those words in an unhurried slur. His warm southern accent and peculiar enthusiasm softened the percussion and voiced his eagerness to come back onto the mic. In a genre that celebrates resourcefulness, no one is more resourceful than Gucci Mane, who built his legacy not on a mainstream hits, but on a series of modestly successful major label albums and a profusion of the unofficial albums known as mixtapes. New releases arrived every year, sometimes even every month. And even though the guy on the cover wasn't always of, always available to promote them, listeners were drawn into the style that was consistent, as his life was not. Gucci Man is one of the most street guys I ever met, Zaytoven, one of his longtime producers said. But when he raps, it sounds like nursery rhymes. Of course, these rhymes tend not to be child-friendly, or friendly at all. Pissy yellow jewelry, pussy don't piss me off, Server a dude head off, cut a dude feet off. This combination of menace and whimsy turned Gucci into something more than a fairly popular rapper. He became a folk hero, the kind of performer who is almost as much as fun to talk to about as is to listen to. Some musicians have a song or an album that they are known for, but Gucci has been known primarily for being Gucci. Although he sometimes calls himself Gucci Man the Flair or simply Guwop, this last nickname may come in handy if you ever received a threatening letter from the legal department of an Italian fashion house. And in 2011, he acquired a new trademark when he covered his right side of his face with a tattoo of an ice cream cone, accented with red lightning bolts in one of his favorite interjections, Burr. He later explained, As if it were obvious that the image was a celebration of his status as the coldest in the game. But this summer, a new Gucci man has appeared, one so clearly transformed that some fans insist he's been replaced by a clone. Formerly, a self-described big, fat, rich dude has emerged from prison looking lean and happy, flashing a newly white smile. Just wonder how much that cost at the dentist. On Snapchat, he posted a video of himself eating a well-balanced meal, saying, yeah, this is kale right here. He said, he says that he's sober after years of addiction to, pre to prescription cough syrup, and at the age of 36, he seems to be relishing his role as one of the most wildly admired rappers on the planet, especially among his peers. Gucci Man showed a generation how to emphasize intonation over enunciation, and how to deploy slight rhythmic imprecision to buck the stiff authority of the beat. His new album, Everybody Looking, is the product of a six-day recording session and, you might say, a three-year writing session as an inmate. He passed the time by composing verses in pencil on a legal pad. 
The album not only features rappers such as Kanye West and Drake and Young Thug, but it's setting a platform. It's setting a platform for the trap rap scene. It's setting a platform for rappers to know that he's back in the game and he's not going anywhere. 